today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group. It's Tuesday, March 7th, 2023. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast where you'll hear the latest news and trends facing government leaders. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Billy Mitchell. Here's what's happening now. The White House is launching nine new life experience projects to help improve citizens' access to government websites and services. The Office of Management and Budget announced last week that the projects will fall under a variety of common life experiences where Americans frequently come to depend on government services. They will focus on human-centered design and are part of a push started by the Biden administration following the executive order on improving federal customer experience in 2021. The National Institute of Standards and Technology is launching a new cybersecurity community of interest for U.S. small businesses. The program intends to foster greater collaboration between NIST and small businesses that provide and consume cybersecurity services. You can read more about these stories and more at fedscoop.com. U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services will be leveraging machine learning to make decisions on trusted users and devices for a more real-time zero-trust model. USCIS Chief Information Security Officer Shane Barney said at a recent FedScoop event that his agency is going to be developing a more fluid and adaptive cybersecurity model. At the Zero Trust Summit produced by CyberScoop, Barney joined a panel with CGI's Chris Laverne, moderated by my Scoop News Group colleague, Mike Farrell. In this highlight from the panel, Barney explains the evolution of his organization's Zero Trust architecture. We have been doing Zero Trust for a long time. We didn't call it that, but that's okay. It's the term we have today. It's fine. It gives everybody something to talk about. Um, you know, we kind of fell into, our, into what is Zero Trust now organically. We started in cloud as an agency in 2010, 2011, with some of our first applications. And then by about 2015, we had realized that we were, that this is a big deal. That the, the agency had significantly been moving more and more of its applications into the cloud, and, and that dynamically things were changing for the security program. Um, and, and we weren't keeping up. And then the process and, and the, you know, the, the way we were doing security at that time was not matching it. Um, and so we started making changes, and that, those changes represented um, what would become, you know, what we normal, what we would think of zero trust, but we recognize the power of cloud, and we recognize the ability of what we could do in cloud. And so we started making changes along our identity infrastructure and how we did networking, how we handled our users, our secrets, our, our certificates, um, and leveraging the power of cloud to do that. So by about 2018 or so, we really were heavily into that journey. We'd already established 100% single sign-on across the agency, 100% single, all of our role-based access was 100% for all of our systems. Um, and centralized all that, and then began focusing in on more key aspects of the identity infrastructure. Where we're, how are we managing our certificates, and how, how could we automate that process? How could we manage and, and manage our secrets better? Um, because we still had that running rampant, and USCIS being what CIS is, you know, development was everything. So when you have 3,000 developers running around, managing your secrets is an exceptionally important thing. Uh, and so it really was an organic process. We. We did it because it made sense. We did it because the security programs, as someone mentioned earlier, you're not going to get hundreds and hundreds of people to come help work for you. You've got to figure out new paths and new ways of doing things. And this, of course, led into automation um, and, and how we automated our processes internally, how we handled risk and how we automated risk. Um, and now, if I get my way, we'll automate our, our, our documents as well. So it's definitely organic. Yeah, so, so Chris, um, what, you know, this talk's called Accelerating the Zero Trust Journey. What is that? Uh, how are you talking to your your customers, your partners about that? 
Um, well, uh, first thing is to think about the goal, right? So what, what is the goal of zero trust? Is it actually zero trust? No, it's, 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 it is trusting things. And so that's, that's when you think, you think about what you want to think about. And you, you're breaking those trusts down into smaller trusts or micro trusts, as some might say. Um, uh, and, and in order to get there, you, you need to uh, have uh, uh, models of what your what your behavior is like at your at your agency. What are those models? Which requires a lot of logging. Uh, you need to have that logging. You get your data scientists, and they're not going to be looking at the spreadsheets, but they need to cull through the data to know what those patterns are. Uh, and then um, uh, and then then look at your capabilities, the capabilities that you have in place, what can be leveraged, and then you'll find where your gaps may be uh, to explore other possibilities at that point. And one great place to pick up a lot of capabilities is going into the cloud and taking advantage of the platform out there, as was just mentioned. I'm curious to know, who are you looking to hire? What types of people are you uh, looking for? Maybe who can't you find right now? I don't hire everybody. Um, you know, it's funny you mentioned that the workforce has really changed. It's been a, a that's actually been one of the biggest evolutions. Um, it, because what we recognized as well, and we started doing this a little bit, started probably doing this in 2015, but in earnest in probably 2017, where we actually began changing not just the, the, our, car, our contracts, we also changed the, the training that was available to our work, our staff. Cloud drives a different type of model. It, it, it's, I always like to say cloud is different. I mean, it's, it's the best way to think about it. Um, it is not prem. It is certainly not prem. And the skill sets that you need, especially for the security side, are, are very, very, very different. Heavy on automation, heavy on development capabilities. You know, a lot of, if you were to walk into my SOC today, um, there's going to be development teams sitting on the SOC floor. Uh, why? Because if you're, you know, you're, every, if your infrastructure is code, your security is code too. So you, you have to function in that environment. Um, now, of course, data scientists make up a, a part of my, my sort of workforce as well as data analytics um, because that's become critical. When you're ingesting 10 terabytes of log data in a day, you darn well better understand what it is you're taking in. So yes, the workforce has changed dramatically and, and the focus that we have on that, on developing the staff that we have now, as well as how we change that staffing model going forward and staying in front of that is, is critical. Yeah, so as I mentioned, uh, Chris DeRusha is gonna be coming up next. What would you like to hear or see from the White House, uh, CISO, and be um, in terms of uh, guide, next kind of guidance for Zero Trust? Okay, Chris, don't write my name down, okay? <laughs> unless, unless it's successful, then it's me. Um, you know, actually what I would love to see is, is to codify the CISL role in law. Um, CISLs are sort of, sort of there, kind of not really, but they have no explicit functionality, they have no explicit regulation authorities, um, nothing that's theirs that they have controls over. Um, you know, we are at the at sort of the women will of the CIO, and if you've got a really good CIO, and by the way, I have a really great CIO, and he's probably not even going to hear that, so it's a true statement. Um, and, and I have been very fortunate in my career to work with some great CIOs, where, where the relationship between the CISO and the CIO was very effective, where security principles were weighed against the, the needs of the business and, and risks, and then good decisions were made. Now, sometimes they were decisions that I wanted, sometimes they weren't, sometimes they were a compromise, but those decisions were made. Um, but, you know, that situation isn't always the case, and I have a lot of, lot, a lot of partners within the industry who have had the problem with that exact relationship. Now, what I don't want to have happen is that relationship to be broken. CISO should never become the auditor of CIO. Um, it, it is not something that's in anyone's best interest. Um, we have a lot of audits already. We're good. 
um, I don't need to become that auditing wing. What I do need that is that, so that relationship has to be maintained, but there has to be certain capabilities and functionalities assigned to CISO that are unique to them. It's going to be things like risk management. It's going to be governance. It's going to be SOC autom SOC, you know, security, or security operations, and as well as identity security. Um, you, those have to be explicitly owned by CISO. What do you think about that, Chris? Uh, I agree. Um, I, it, it, uh, so, you know, we had the, the EO is going on uh, two years now, right? So agencies are in a different place now. Uh, if every aspect of the, the EO has not been met. That, that's, you know, two years is a short time to, to meet everything. But it'd be nice to see some uh, updates around guidance uh, based upon where agencies are now. Um, so we've heard, obviously we've heard a lot about Zero Trust at the Zero Trust Summit. Is there something we haven't heard, Shane, that you think is important for organizations to understand um, as they move forward? You know, as I look back, and we, like I said, we fell into it very organically. I wish I could say we were super smart. We weren't. We sort of made a lot of mistakes and learned. Um, I could write a book on that. Maybe I will someday. But, you know, it, those mistakes helped us learn, and, and we, we changed and altered our pathways and, and moved forward, and we learned a lot and, and, and kept moving. Um, I, I think if, if I was giving it, like, and I've done this, actually, to a lot, for a lot of agencies and organizations, where I walked in and said, you know, what's the most important thing you can focus on? Get identity right. Just, just focus on identity. It is the most critical thing you're going to do. You, you've got to understand who is on your network and why, they, why they're there, or what is, what is on your network and why they're there, and what they have the right to do. Um, if you don't know that, well, don't even bother doing anything else. It's just not worth your time and effort. Um, and, this, and extend it beyond your user base. And, you know, Zero Trust is not about just users. That kind of drives me crazy when it's all we tend to think about. But the reality is, is the users actually make up a very small portion of your, of your entire infrastructure. And any of those particular assets on your infrastructure, be it a server or a cloud device, you, you name it, they all present risks of their own kind and they have to be managed accordingly. And, and that means you're managing their identity, you're managing the roles that they have access to and all, all aspects thereof. Um, so that, that means though, that means as part of your identity, getting identity right, you've gotta get your secrets management right, it's gotta be automated. You've gotta get your certificate management right, it's gotta be automated. Um, and these are no, th these are challenging things to do. Um, we, we've, I've got a, I have like 100 plus developers who work for me and we've been working on this for a while and it's not easy. Um, you know, it, it's, there is no one easy button solution. It doesn't exist. Um, you're still going to have to manage all your infrastructure and your legacy infrastructure. So you've got to figure out a solution that kind of meets somewhere in the middle. Um, and, and then, by the way, you're going to fail a lot. Um, and, and that's okay. Expect it. Um, most important thing, I can take, take a play, page out of the Agile playbook and, and say, you know, fell, fell early, fell often, fell forward. Um, and it's, the, it's sort of the, the mantra we use and it's how we've applied our, it's how we've applied failure. Um, and, and I would say we've been very, we've been very successful being failures um, because my team knows when something doesn't go the way we want it, it, it doesn't become an, uh, hey, let's go yell at everybody on the team. It becomes an opportunity for us to sit down and go, okay, what did we do right? What did we do wrong? How can we fix it? How can we move forward? Yep. So Chris, uh, getting identity right is, is key. Is there something else that you would like to convey? Uh, well, I, I think you nailed it in that because you, you expanded it beyond that to the devices as well, right? And, and that's, the, you know, think of the devices as people too, right? They, they're they're, they're going to have authority to do things, and, and that's part of that whole piece of identity and access management. Again, that was CGI's Chris Laverne and USCIS CISO Shane Barney. You can watch more highlights from the Zero Trust Summit at thedailyscooppodcast.com. 
IT Mod Talks is just a week away. You'll learn more about the ongoing efforts in federal IT modernization, the continued move to modern cloud-based systems, and what's in store with emerging technologies like artificial intelligence. It's all happening Wednesday, March 15th at the Ritz-Carlton in Pentagon City from 8.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. You can find more information and register now at fedscoop.com attend. Executive Order 14028 turns two years old this May. The Biden administration EO on improving the nation's cybersecurity has been a spark plug for federal agencies to develop formal zero trust architecture implementation plans and to prioritize the adoption of cloud technologies. Also at the Zero Trust Summit, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, Chief Information Security Officer Robert Wood explains how the EO helped shape his organization's cybersecurity strategy. In the beginning, there was 14028. Everyone is familiar with 14028. Our networks were quiet. All we had to deal with was FISMA. And then all of a sudden, this is basically what everyone started to look like when 14028 got launched. There was a drop everything and start sprinting in the direction of doing zero trust and SBOMs and EDR and data sharing and public-private partnership. And it was a very big and bold and uh, an awesome executive order, but it also created this pressure cooker situation for us as leaders of these agencies and even the, the vendor community. This whole uh, security community started to just have to rally around doing something very, very quickly and that big, the big ticket item in there was, of course, zero trust. We need a zero trust architecture implemented by such and such a date. Holy moly, it's an unfunded mandate. How do we go about and do this? And of course, because it's a big thing, you know, the OIGs are asking us about it. It's coming up in audits. Senior leadership is asking about it. You get asked about it in you know, events like this. What can I do to support your zero trust efforts? And there's just deadlines on deadlines and deadlines and deadlines. And that's all, hi, um, that's all fantastic. And so I love, this, um, I love this quote from Benjamin Franklin that I think is so applicable to this situation. By, prepare, or by failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. And what I think that means in this context of zero trust is that if you just start doing stuff, you just start doing things before you're really ready, before you've thought through it, before you have a plan, before you had the maturity model uh, reference architecture from CISA, then you're putting yourself at risk. Not at maybe technical risk that is related to you know, threat actors and nation states and all of that, but complexity risk organizational risk. You are, you are starting to create this, um, you're starting to turn your particular aircraft carrier, if you will, in a particular direction that might be hard to change and move and adapt as time goes on. And so I think there's a couple of key things that emerged out of this, um, out of this just drop everything and start sprinting in the direction of doing zero trust. That is, we started immediately focusing on doing all this really complicated stuff. You know, the discussion of AI just boomed as soon as Zero Trust came on the scene. Yet in reality, a lot of agencies were not really well equipped with a, with a sound data architecture where they could build machine learning models or do ML ops or bring in data scientists to the point where they're not just staring at spreadsheets and trying to build a model because that's not really what 
data scientists want to do. They don't want to stare at spreadsheets. They want to work with uh, like large, they want to work with Databricks and Snowflake and you know big modern data tools, uh, and they want to be building models in Python and R and, and what have you. They want to do their thing, and so complexity, I think, is a really key thing that we need to be cognizantly aware of, and also duplicative spend. So, of course, as soon as the executive order was released, every vendor on the block. Um, not everyone, anyone in this group, of course, but every other vendor on the block had a zero trust solution that was gonna meet all your needs, check all your boxes, get you to whatever level on the maturity model, and there was, you put yourself at risk, especially in the context of an unfunded mandate, to have a lot of duplicative spend. Now that's not good purely from a wasting of taxpayer dollars perspective, but it's also not good because you might have eyeballs on screens getting pulled in different directions, and that wastes time. That's opportunity costs that we as security teams uh, need to be aware of, as security leaders need to be aware of. Now, we, one of the comments made earlier was, we don't have enough people. We can't train people up fast enough. Well, you know what happens if you're taking your limited resource and diverging it in different states is you're taking an already valuable resource and you're making it less valuable by distracting them. So that is something we need to be really focused on. And then another thing, disruption to operations. So Zero trust, if, if you do it correctly, has the potential to, to improve a lot of things about user experience, like going passwordless, for example, and leaning in on um, you know, FIDO, U2F sort of uh, uh, authentication schemes. Like that's way better than having to remember your password and deal with TOTP over SMS messages that may or may not get delivered in you know, two to five minutes, and then you log into your thing. Like that's way more seamless, for example, and you know, machine learning model, uh, assisted SOC alert triage, that's way better than having somebody stare at a screen and just go you know, alert by alert, investigation by investigation. Like there's, there's some really good things about a well-implemented zero trust architecture, but if we do it haphazardly, then we can have a negative consequence and actually disrupt operations because we're not doing things uh, uh, intentionally, thoughtfully. So, you don't want to be this dude. Um, you don't want to be the guy who's just bringing in tools and just realizing that your team is not well equipped um, to deal with the thing, to, to support the deployment. Um, and so one key thing that we are really, really focused on at CMS is leveraging points of centralization. And what do I mean by that? So these are a couple of questions that we might ask ourselves in the, the quest for centralization is like how many systems, apps, services, users are using or building upon a particular piece of our technology, a piece of, a piece of our environment. For example, a single sign-on or our identity management solution are, is 100% is of the agency using that thing or is 50% of the agency using that thing? or if we have a cloud, uh, cloud governance structure. Are we, do we have 20% of our FISMA systems building on that particular uh, thing, or are endpoints being managed by different groups? And that sort of, like the answers to those key questions really matter as to how we take the budget that we carve out of, for this unfunded mandate to do zero trust. And I'm, not, and I'm not riffing on anyone with respect to it being an unfunded mandate, I get it, 
Like we, I, I honestly believe we should, as an, agent, as an agency and as a federal government, be pushing in this direction. I don't think we should settle for the status quo. The status quo is not good enough because the world around us changes way too fast and it, enter, it atrophies right underneath our feet like quicksand. And if you're not changing, you're not evolving, you're not growing, then you're, you're moving backwards. And so, uh, again, with the tools, we need to be super intentional at CMS especially, uh, just because we have this very large, sprawling, federated environment about the tools that we bring in. Uh, we want to make sure that, A, the tools we bring in are going to work. And so there's, you know, there's a thoughtfulness that goes into that. We want to make sure they actually get adopted, so that way they're not deployed in a very narrow segment of the agency, because that's not useful. Uh, we want to make sure that we invest the people and the services and the integration points around those services, so that way it's not just this thing that sits in a corner doing its thing in a standalone way. Like those integration points are something really just, we don't talk about them enough. We don't talk about the human part of investing in a tool to really operationalize it to its fullest capacity enough, in my humble opinion. And so take, for example, if CMS were to uh, carve out $10 million and just to like really drive this point home. So this is a Sankey diagram, if anyone's uh, familiar with this particular kind of visualization. So let's say we carved out $10 million and we were like, all right, let's, you know, we don't know what we're doing just yet. So we're going to take $10 million and we are going to divide it equally across the, the main five pillars um, of zero trust, two million a pop. That might sound like a lot of money, um, 10 million bucks, but it starts to get to be a lot, not a lot of money very, very quickly. So uh, if you were to further divide that up, and we weren't leveraging a centralization strategy, and you started to divvy this up amongst the particular systems, then this is only 30 systems, as you can see, and $2 million, or $10 million turned to $2 million, turns into $66,666 and some change really quickly. And CMS has 240 FISMA systems that are collections of applications and, and networks and services and all of that. And so that was only 30. Uh, and if you divided that by 240, it breaks down to around 8,033 bucks or something like that, which is not a lot of money. You can't really move the needle with that amount of investment. And so centralization is so, so key. I know I'm beating this up, but I think it, like, I'm really trying to drive that point home. Um, so the cyber defense matrix, I was actually down in Dallas yesterday for uh, their inaugural like, working group session uh, with Sunil Yu and, and others. And we were talking about different use cases for this thing and for this tool. If anyone has not used it in any capacity, I strongly encourage you to check it out. And it is basically a crosswalk between asset classes and the NIST CSF domain. Um, I will put all these slides out on LinkedIn right after this for what it's worth, if, uh, um, yeah, if that's helpful. Um, and so this is a cornerstone to the way that we do portfolio management at CMS. We map out our tools, we map out our coverage levels, we map out potential integration points across this matrix so that we can find opportunities to get the most out of our investments. And so for example, integration opportunities, what we oftentimes see is that there's really strong vertical integration opportunities in the identify and detect columns. Why? Because those are very data-driven capabilities. Um, 
identifying your assets, whatever those assets might be, devices, applications, networks, et cetera. That is very data-driven uh, capability. You're pulling things together, you're normalizing assets, you're cross-referencing, and you're, you're deduplicating. Detection is the same way, detecting alerts. You're aggregating things together. Now, CMS, we're, uh, we have a big effort going on right now to move away from our more traditional siloed, walled-off SIM deployments into more of a, uh, like a modernized data architecture, and we're dubbing it the security data lake. And the idea there is we are trying to democratize and open up access to security data to those that need it. So that way, different parts of our security team are not jumping through hoops and climbing over each other just to get what they need to do their work. Um, and then we're trying to shift from these, uh, these bespoke like log forwarder solutions, because not every piece of data that we need in security is a time series log file, right? Like we need SBOMs, or we might want that. We might want training data uh, or the output thereof. We might want compliance scans, uh, asset data, vulnerability scan data. None of that is a time series log file. Um, it could be represented as a, uh, in a time series way, but it's not necessarily the same thing as a streaming log file coming into your environment that the SOC is gonna be using. And I like to tell this particular story through the lens of something like Log4j. When Log4j hits, what ended up happening? Security teams everywhere were trying to scramble and they were figuring out where is this thing located? Where do we have Log4j running across our environment? I don't know. Um, and so we have to like, go through all of these steps and what we're trying to do is minimize data calls and, and jumping through hoops to make that happen. And so, you know, one other thing, and I'll breeze through this really quickly, because uh, I know we're, uh, we're trying to get back on schedule, is uh, we are leaning very heavily into trying to build this declarative state that we are dubbing the Batcave um, for our zero trust architecture. So this is all about creating a, a declarative engineering pipeline-oriented uh, abstraction around the broader CMS cloud program. And in there, we can build a, a pristine, zero trust architecture that is deployed the same exact way every single time that we want to deploy it because it's all infrastructure compliance and state as code. Um, so again, I'll share these slides online because I'm, I'm not going to go into the super details here, um, but like it's built on a series of deployment scaffolding that we uh, refer to as the utility belt and then pipelines, which have a number of these different stages that map to security related um, and zero trust backed stages. And so each one of these things builds on our zero trust story. And one of the key things here is that we wanna really try to incentivize, we wanna connect our different efforts. We don't wanna just do zero trust over here and just do compliance stuff over here. That's not helpful. We want to combine them. We want them to support one another. And so by incentivizing adoption of these sort of uh, platforms of these tools of these solutions. This is not just, um, you know, they, like we do stuff across the agency with, uh, with respect to like EDR and data and, and all of that stuff, but this is a very uh, um, like engineering centric platform. And so trying to leverage benefits like user experience, developer experience, uh, continuous ATO, et cetera, want to build on our zero trust story through those things. Like don't let your stuff just sit over in silos one thing over here, another thing over here, because you're not getting the most out of your investment, your time, your security team's focus in that way. 
That was CMS CISO Robert Wood. You can learn more about the Zero Trust journey at CMS and find a link to the slides Robert referenced at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all podcast platforms. If you've already rated the podcast on your platform of choice, thanks so much. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people to find it. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher help put the show together and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. We'll talk to you again Thursday afternoon. Until then, I'm your host, Billy Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening.